Good morning. Morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Nat Marshall. I serve as one of the one of the lay elders here, and it's a it's a pleasure to be here with you with you guys this morning. Um, this is the time that we call Advent, and and that word literally meaning arrival. Every year at this time, our church takes four weeks, and we celebrate and we reflect on the arrival of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and this week, the, the theme, kind of the word, the idea that we're doing that through is hope. And I want to start us off, I want to jump right in uh, to one of the Psalms, Psalms 130. As I read, try to put yourself in the place of this writer. Imagine writing these words. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. So waiting. Here, here's somebody's waiting desperately. There, there's a longing in it, like, like a night watchman. So imagine you're one of those people. It's your job to stay up all night while everybody else gets to sleep, and you're keeping watch over the city or over a camp or something. And, and it's dangerous, but you're watching, and it's dark, and you're waiting. You're waiting for that. You're waiting for the safety of the morning. You're waiting for that light. Um, and here he, he doesn't just say, I wait. He says, my soul waits. So there, there's like a depth a depth of feeling there. There's an intensity of the waiting. And, and he's not just waiting for the next day. He's waiting for the Lord. Um, and so, so the, the Lord is both the object of his hope and, and the confidence of his hope. And it's full of feeling. And, and he really means this. He means it so, so much he says it twice at the end there. Um, so, and if we would... Take a look, if we would back up and look at the verses that come right before this, and we, and we won't, but if we would, we'd see that he, he's in a desperate place. In this place he calls the depths. The depths. And, and I wonder if some of you guys know kind of what he might be referring to when he says the depths. He says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, waiting and hoping watching for the light and the safety of the morning. And, and I wonder if sometimes we feel like that, where it's dark and we're waiting with all our soul, watching for the light of, of the morning. So I wanted to go there to this psalm right away, just to sort of set the tone and the feeling for it. This is, this is how we're thinking about hope today. Um, there's, a, there's a longing an expectation and a, and, a, and a waiting. So I'll, I'll give you my main idea for, for the morning. Uh, let's make it this. Set your confident, expectant longing fully on Jesus. Set your confident, expectant longing fully on Jesus. And that's, that's hope, really. So, you know, in everyday life, we use the word hope um, to talk about something maybe we would like to happen, like... I hope the weather's good. Um, I hope I don't embarrass myself at the thing, or you know, you know. But the idea of hope in the Bible is something a little different. It's it's much more sure. Um, there's a certainty because it's 
it's, it's grounded on the character and the goodness and the love of God. So that makes it more of an expectation than a wish. I could try to define it this way. Biblical hope is a confident, longing expectation of something good in the future. In the future. So what about faith? Faith and hope are two words very similar. We almost use them interchangeably sometimes. Um, They are closely related. Um, You might remember Hebrews 11, verse 1. I think if I started to quote it, some of you could probably fill in the blanks. Um, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, I heard. Yeah. Um, so, So faith and hope are related, but they're not exactly the same. And I think the distinction is that hope is specifically aimed at the future. Um, Pastor John Piper said something clarifying to me about this. He said, hope is that part of faith that focuses on the future. In biblical terms, when faith is directed to the future, you can call it hope. So, hope involves the future. Now, if hope involves the future, that means that when we're talking about hope, we probably are going to end up talking about some future things, and, and we will. I will. Um, another, kind of the flip side of that is when you hear talk about the future, that can be a clue, a little light can go off in your mind maybe, that we're getting near issues of hope. And, and I think one of the implications of that in our lives is that when you, for example, worry about tomorrow, that's a future. When you worry about tomorrow, it might indicate you're actually dealing with a hope issue. And so you don't necessarily need to just find out all the Bible says about worry, but everything it says about hope also applies. So, okay, as we, as we go through this morning, I want to use one verse from 1 Peter chapter 1 to really guide our thoughts. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a command there. Set your hope fully on something. The grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we'll explain a little about what that means. We'll talk about that. I'm going to be talking about some future events some things that will come to pass and that, by the way, involve you and me. Um, Now, our our roadmap for the morning is going to look roughly like this. One, we'll set our hope. Setting our hope, what are we going to set it on? Okay. And then two, preparing our minds for action. And three, I want to talk a little about hope's opposite, the opposite of hope. Okay, so jumping in, setting our hope. As Christians, we have this book, the, the written word of God as he's revealed himself to us. And, and from this, we know the truth of the gospel. We've come to know Jesus, how, how the Father so loved the world that he gave his son. His son died on our behalf, bearing our sins, and he was buried and he rose again, and then he ascended into heaven where he now sits at the right hand of the Father. And this book that tells us all that, which many people in this room 
believe those things. This book also tells us about what is going to come to pass. Um, it, it tells us some things about how this is all going to end up, how, how it's all going to work out. And if, if we, for a moment, can zoom way back, way out, and talk about the big picture story, the big picture story of this Bible, like the overarching story that all of our little stories fit into. One way we can do that is in terms of like creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And we, we talk about creation, how God, God spoke. And with a word, with a word the, the heavens and the earth sprang into existence out of nothing. And, and he made people and he put them in a garden and it, it was good. And then, then we can talk about fall, the fall of man. Because in that garden, there was a snake. And, and, the, and the snake, the serpent, um, it, he, he lied uh, as the enemy of God. He, he planted lies and doubts in the people's minds. And they ended up doubting the Lord and rebelling. And... Since that moment when people rebelled against their creator, the relationship between people and God was broken. They were exiled from the garden, and work became hard, thorns and thistles, and pain and, pain and death have entered the world, and sin has entered the human heart, and ever since then, every person has rebelled against and pushed against their creator. That is, every person except one, the one whose arrival we celebrate at Advent. Um, see, right there in, the, in that garden, in that very first scene, God said something to the snake. And it's really cool. There's, um, in these first couple pages of the Bible, there's a really important verse, um, Genesis 3.15, and, it, and, it, and it's so important because it ha, it's the very first prediction of a savior in the Bible. And that verse speaks of someone coming. One day someone would come, an offspring of the woman, a descendant, a son, and that son would crush the snake's head. God said to the snake in Genesis 3.15, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So what a promise that early in the Bible to, to find that there would be, from those very first pages, it was predicted there'd be someone coming who would destroy evil, crush the snake's head. But it also says his heel will, would be bruised in the process. So, so yeah, he'll deal the snake a fatal blow, but, but he'll get wounded in the process. So then over the years and the centuries that followed, there'd be more and more prophecies of that one. That one that would come, and, and we'd find out all kinds of places, like Isaiah, we, we'd find out he would bring justice, um, that he'd, he'd proclaim good news to the poor, and bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom to the captives, his kingdom would never be destroyed, and we'd find out more. We'd find out that he would bear our griefs and carry our sorrows, that our sins would be laid on him, that he'd be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. And so for that one's arrival, they waited. 
And before that first advent, they waited. They waited for the coming one who would bring redemption to the world. And, and that brings us to like the third part of our big story creation, fall, redemption. You see, Jesus arrived. Advent, he arrived. Thank God Jesus arrived. He, it, it wasn't like they thought, though. Because in humility, God took on human flesh, and he dwelt among us. And as a sin bearer, he was crucified, and he, he suffered and was buried, and he rose again. And in Jesus, our redemption was accomplished, and he, he was reconciling the world to God. And and one day, he is coming again. Um, it's that next arrival, that, that next advent, second advent, that he will finally bring us into the last part of the story. So creation, fall, redemption, restoration. God will restore his creation and all will be made right. And this is the thing that that really well-known part of Revelation 21 is talking about when it says the dwelling place of God is with man. And it, where it says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And that is what our verse in First Peter is talking about set your hope fully on that this, this next arrival the second advent and it's all over the New Testament actually and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove that to you without much comment I'm just going to show you a bunch of places where, where that is um, John 14 Jesus talked about it he said in my, in my father's house are many rooms if it were not so would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. The book of Acts talks about it. Angels actually said this to disciples. He's, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. Okay. Hebrews has it. Hebrews 9.28. So Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. The Apostle Paul talked about it. He wrote to the Thessalonians about it. 1 Thessalonians 4.26, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. The book of Revelation talks about it. Revelation 1.7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those, even those who pierced him. I have a few more, if you want to keep going. Uh, the, the, the book of Titus talks about it. It says, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus talked about it in, in the book of Matthew 24. He said, uh, therefore you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And on the, 
the very last page of our Bibles, it says, well, Jesus says, surely I am coming soon. And the response is, amen, come, Lord Jesus. So all that, that that's what we're to set our hope fully on. Uh, we wait for it and we long for it. We say, amen, come, come, Lord. But yet we're here. We look around and we see brokenness and, you know, it's kind of a cold, rainy day out. And, like our tears haven't been fully wiped away yet, so we wait. When I was thinking about this, I was reminded of something that my mom actually said to me this summer. Um, some, of you, some of you know, like earlier this year, my dad died and uh, he, he was my mom's husband of 57 years. And so one of the things that we knew right away was that um, my mom wasn't gonna be able to stay in that house um, for long. She was gonna have to move. And so, um, you know, facing a, a winter alone with the lake effect snows in Erie, Pennsylvania, it wasn't gonna be good. So, so she's gonna have to move. Eventually we formed a great plan. One of my sisters out in the Midwest was gonna actually add on to her house and make a place for my mom. And this was, this was gonna be great. And so the plans were drawn up, they got permits, the constructions started, you know, but it's not, it's not ready. It wasn't ready yet, these things take time. And so my mom was still at her house alone and it was hard and grieving. And on top of grieving, there was like, all this unpleasant stuff to do. Imagine packing up your whole life into boxes and figuring that out and trying to sell the house and clean it and move furniture and sell stuff and realtors coming over and people coming to look at the house and showings and inspections, and just basically upheaval and stress. And um, she was leaning on the Lord and uh, and a place was being made ready for her out in Minnesota. Um, but, but it was hard. And all of that was going on when one day, I think near a low point, she said to me something. She said, I know it's being built for me, but it's so hard to feel it when I'm right here surrounded by all this. I think sometimes we know the feeling. Like, whatever the all this is for you, um, it can, we're, we're in the middle of it. It can be hard to feel the hope of the glory that's to come. And like my mom, in the middle of the mess and the stress, it was hard to feel it, but, but the reality was a place of refuge was being prepared for her. And we, we who know Jesus can say the same thing. We can fix our hope on him. The, the one who said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. So, you know, if, if you are in Christ, the difficulties of life do not mean a final defeat for you. They don't. Even your own death doesn't mean a final defeat for you. Hear these words of Jesus from John 6. He says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son 
and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's awesome. Okay. So now back to our verse in 1 Peter 1.13. Preparing our minds for action and being sober-minded. So we've talked a little bit We've talked a little bit about the what, like what we set our hope on, but we haven't talked much about how. And we can see in this sentence there's a few things going on as we set our hope. Preparing your minds for action. Now that's how this, this translation into English has it. Um, and I think it's a good general meaning, but from what I understand, the original language has some it says something a little different. It's kind of funny words. It says, Gird, girding up the loins of your mind. Um, but I think that is good because it'll give, it gives us a picture to latch onto. Um, girding up the loins of your mind. What is that? So this is back in the day. Um, everybody wore long clothes, like tunics, and they were flowing. And um, when they had to run or... Uh, or fight, or do work, go into battle, well, they would trip over their long flowing clothes. So before that stuff, they would gird them up, which is some way of tying them off and basically converting them into shorts. Um, so I think of it a little bit like tying my shoes. I would not want to go on a hike with my shoes untied. So you got to tie them up. Gird up the loins. And um, it's, it's not just talking about clothing here in the verse. It says the loins of your mind. So, so it's kind of, maybe it's like tie the shoelaces of your mind. And I thought about that. And I, I, like, I like the thought. Um, so these are the things that you would trip over. So what are those things in your mind that you would trip over, that you tend to trip over? So do the work. We've got to get those things tied up. Um, prepare your mind for action. Expect action because if anyone is going to set their hope fully on Jesus, it's going to be a fight. Because things, even in your own mind, things are going to work against that. Um, so what are the untied shoelaces of your mind that you have tripped over in the past? Is it Self-pity? Uh, is, it, is it worry? Envy of others? Pray about these things. Handle them with the truths of Scripture because, because there's a battle coming and you gotta get them, you gotta get them tied. Pre- prepare your minds for action, it says. That might mean confess what you need to. Uh, learn what you need to. Study. Um, get surrounded by people where you can help each other be ready for action. Because we are not going to just drift into hope. If, if we just sort of hope, I hope that I hope. I hope I hope fully. Like, it's not going to naturally happen. happen. And then the next, the next phrase in that verse says, being sober-minded. Um, I don't think the sober-mindedness here is just talking about drunkenness from alcohol. I think it's talking about anything that would make you confused and numb and distracted and keep you from setting your hope on Jesus. So what are those, what are those things that mess up your thinking? Do your thoughts get messed up if you're just like scroll, scrolling too much? Or, um, 
you know, the pleasures of, of the flesh. These things are temporary and they will let you down. They're, they're false hopes and we need to be on alert for the things that will numb our heart to the things of God. So now I want to address hope's opposite. Uh, a lot of people say hope's opposite is despair. And I think that despair might be something that happens when discouragement is left unchecked. It can turn into despair. These things are destroyers of hope. I think we have to be very watchful for them. Um, I want to show you a verse from way back in Exodus, Exodus 6-9. Check this out. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Now I know I took you there. I didn't give you any nice context. We just jumped into a verse in Exodus. But you can see just from the words there, the people didn't listen to the words of Moses. Why? Because of their broken spirit. Now I I checked and the words that Moses had just spoken that they weren't hearing, they were actually really awesome. They were amazing words. They, they were the ones where he told them, God is going to bring us out of slavery in Egypt. God's going to deliver us. Um, that God would be their God and bring them into the land. And, and in fact, what happened next would be like the big rescue story of the book of Exodus. The one you picture with the parting of the Red Sea and the and the the, the the Passover and, and <clears throat> this rescue out of slavery. But at that moment, as it's recorded, the people couldn't hear Moses' words. They let discouragement keep them from hearing. Let's not do that. <laughs> so there's a reason that Exodus 6-9 records this, I think, and um, Remember that Romans 15.4 says this. It says, for whatever was written in former days, like the book of Exodus, for example, was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. See, God wants us to have hope. But our enemy, the devil, he wants us to be hopeless. And discouragement, Discouragement, I'm convinced, is one of those weapons that is used against us to try to tempt us into unbelief. So recognize that we have spiritual foes and that this battle is not of the flesh, but we fight against spiritual forces of evil. And recognize the weapon when it's used against you. (coughs) Excuse me. Discouragement might be a weapon trying to tempt you to unbelief. But take heart. It's, that's not all bad news because, because where there's an attack, that means, well, there's a battle that can be fought. We've got spiritual weapons to wield. We, we have the truth of scripture. We have armor to put on. We have prayer. And I found we may even have some things to confess too. Um, Now, a lot of the things that discourage you may not be your fault at all. Um, 
a lot of the things that are discouraging you, they might not have anything to do with some sin that you committed. But I've found that even in those things, we can start to see pieces where in our response, we, we do need to own some sin and repent of it before the Lord. And, and when you begin to see those pieces, you can be glad because that is evidence of the Spirit at work in your life. Because where you see your own sin, that's exactly where there can be repentance. And we have an answer for sin. It's Jesus, right? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got to say, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to some folks about this morning, about this sermon. And I, and I think I had said something along the lines of, who am I to preach on hope? Uh, some of you know I've battled in some of these places in my mind this year. Um, but one of the pastors here said to me, <laughs> he said, Nat, preach this sermon to yourself. <laughs> and, so, and so I do, and I am. And so I, I want to say, the Christian whose hope is fully set on Christ will not be destroyed by the struggles of life. Hope does not disappoint us. That's why, that's why the Apostle Paul could write this. I love this. 2 Corinthians 4. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven, <laughs> but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So why can he say that? How can he say that? It's because he knows something important. And that thing that he knows, he puts right in verse 14, right there. He says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. And bring us with you into his presence. So as the, as the band comes up, I, I just want to say a few things in particular. To you Christians who know Jesus, set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Prepare your mind for this. Prepare for a battle. Tie up Tie up those loose shoelaces. <laughs> um, set aside the false hopes that'll keep you from the true hope. Set aside the false hopes that'll numb you and distract you. And, and take heart, because the one who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise you. And, and by the way, it's not because you deserve it. <laughs> it's not because we are entitled to a great future. It, it's, not, it's also not because of some naive optimism just everything's going to work out. Frankly, I don't, I don't think it would have. Um, this is the work of God's grace. It's, it's, it's all God's grace through and through. That's why the first Peter verse says, set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you. 
And I want to address those of you who are maybe more on the sidelines looking in. And, and you, you don't know Jesus. And I want to say, you can. You can know him right now. You could, you could come to him. Just come humbly. Come admitting you're a sinner, you need him. Believe that Jesus came to pay for that sin. Believe that he loved you enough to die for you. You can just tell him that. If you want help with that, if you want to talk to somebody, pray with somebody, you can, there's many people here you can just grab and say, hey, I think I need Jesus. You want to pray with me? Another way, right in that corner over there on that side, after the service, people usually over there that are glad to pray with anyone about any, anything that they need. So I'll pray now. Oh, Jesus, thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for coming. Uh, we are thankful for your first advent and we look forward to your second um, we long for you to return, Lord. Come quickly. We know that at the name of at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. Thank you for the hope that you've given. In your name, we pray. Amen.